Hello and welcome to Pave the Way podcast. I'm Seth Moa, aka Essay. I'm here with Kenny Jean Louis, aka KJL. And today we're here with a very special guest, My one gosh. of the few that who paved the way in Quebec basketball. Watching him growing up uh, in Park X, he would just come there and train. Uh, he must have remembered me. I was young. I was a young guy, and uh, <laughs> I appreciate your time, Mr. Chris Joseph. No problem, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Merci, merci d'avoir accepté l'invitation. On t'envoie un message puis directement t'as dit oui. Puis je pense qu'il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont apprendre de ton histoire. So merci encore. No problem, man. 100%. That's what it's all about, man. It's, that's always been my thing. You know, before I know we're gonna get into it, but being able to do this and if I'm able to help one kid, two kids, it's gonna, you know, it's, it's useful. So I'm glad I could be a part of it. Okay. So, so the first question is when and why did you start playing basketball? Uh, why first is because of my brother Maurice, who you guys may be, you know, you guys might have to have him on here as well because he paved the way for me, right? So, um, because of him, my older brother, obviously, I was younger, I was following him around, and you know, he introduced me to the game of basketball through, you know, watching NBA on NBC, you know, watching the Jordan play in those eras. The the same, I know y'all probably seen the Last Dance, so I remember watching that. I remember being a kid in my living room watching the games with him and. My, my love for the game just grew. You know what I mean? We used to go to the parks uh, where there was no basketball nets and we used to shoot in trash cans and uh, things like that, empty out the trash cans, go in people's backyards who we didn't know and shoot under hoops till they kicked us out, stuff like that. So that's how I grew. And I, I fell in love with the game because of my brother Maurice, man. You know, he's the GOAT. So shout out to him for real. Okay. And I know you, uh, you went to Montreal High School. Um, yeah, Montreal, yeah. Yeah. And um, I guess that's where... Um, I guess the, the, the Chris Joseph started, you know, yeah, again, knowing. Well, to be honest with you, uh-huh. you know, I, I was, uh, what you call it? not a freshman. I was in grade seven, you know, so okay. second one. And, uh, you know, I was, at that point in time, yes, I, I think I was playing for Sun Youth maybe at that time. I think I was, uh, if I'm 12, maybe I was Bantam, I guess, Bantam age, right? So I go into school and obviously I'm not you know, the tallest yet. I'm pretty, you know, I'm chubby. But the thing with me is I could always dribble the ball. I could always get to the basket, but I just wasn't in shape for whatever reason. You know, I love my mom's cooking roti and, you know, all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So you know, I was always eating. Um, so, you know, going into Mont Royal, my first year, it was just fun to be able to play basketball um, on the team. And we played in the, in the GMAA at that point. We weren't in the Lac Saint-Louis. Oh. So we played in the English League my first year. So we were playing against like Marymount and the teams of LaSalle, you know, all these things. and. That just being able to play for Sun Youth, uh, where I wasn't getting that much time, and you know, but I was playing against great guys. My teammates were great players, you know, at that young age, and being able to go play ball at school, and that's where I was able to work on my skills because I was the man on my school team, but I wasn't the man on Sun Youth. So I was able to see, you know, both worlds. You know what I mean? And I just kept working, and obviously, um, I got a growth spurt, and yeah, things things started happening for me. You know what I mean? Um, I tell I tell people all the time that I wish there was footage back then, like when I got to midget age, like, you know, as, as, as much as they post things on, on social media these days, you know, I was doing things that was, you know, LeBron-esque. I'm going through the legs, <laughs> I'm going through the legs, through the legs and games off the backboard, doing all kinds of, you know, a lot of highlight plays in high school, man. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. So um, I, I knew, I know that you played at Bison's. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that? Well, Bison's, that was my first experience playing with an AAU I guess an AAU program, uh, we were coached by a guy named, um, 
I can't remember his name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, I can't remember his name right now off the top. But that's my man, though. But I can't remember his name. We played. So that was my first opportunity. That's That that went for me. We didn't get into it. But I left Sun Youth, and I ended up going to play for Dawson uh, Community. You know what I'm saying? And uh, from playing with Dawson, a lot of guys that were on the team, like Ryan Rosnacki, uh, Jason Rodney, these guys played for the Bison. So they told me, you know, because at that point, when I cut ties with Sun Youth, I used to play for the Sun Youth summer team. So I didn't have anywhere to play in the summer. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and I played, you know, I went to the Bison's tryouts and I made the team. And uh, that was my first real experience, I feel like, tra- with a traveling team and, uh, you know, going to the States to play in a couple of tournaments. And you know, that, that was a pretty good experience. Uh, we, had a, we had a pretty good team, too, man. We had a, we had a lot of talent. We had a lot mm-hmm. of talent. In my mm-hmm. time coming up in Montreal, like, uh, that crop of talent was really, really good. You know, Ernst LaRoche. Obviously, like I said, Ryan Rosnacki, uh, Jason Ronnie, Kevin Kenny Hopkinson. We had Randy Dezu. All those guys, you know what I mean, were great players. You know what I mean? So I came up with those guys. And, um, you know, there was, it was real competition. You know, real, real competition. And what, what type of workouts were you doing? I know you were working out with uh, Henry and stuff. So what type of workouts yeah. were, were you doing to, I guess, get better every day, every year? Well, you know, honestly speaking... I used to go to Henry's, but I didn't go as much as everybody else. My thing was, and what I always believed in is, yeah, we could do all these moves on a cone or a chair, but I need a defender. You know what I mean? That's how I always was. So I would rather go to the park and play, you know, 21, play three on three, two on two, because I need people. So, yes, of course, I'd go to Henry's uh, workouts in Park X, um, but I wasn't, a, I wasn't going every single day. I would be lying to you if I said I did. What I would rather do is go a couple times a week, especially on the days where I think it was Friday where I knew there was going to be a lot of people, and at the end, we would play five-on-five. Five. So it's cool working on your game, you know, on a chair, and I still believe that to this day, but I'd rather play against a defender because the defense, a chair is not going to react to what I'm doing. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's how kids get caught up in being robots and doing moves, and I never want to be that kind of guy. I like my game fluid where, okay, I'm going to read and react to defense. Can't do that with a chair or a cone. But it was good to to sharpen my skills and know what I want to do and get my handles tight and learn how to make different shots. But even making shots, you got to do it on a defender. A cheer's not going to jump and contest your shot or fake at you. Now you got to react to him. Mm-hmm. So my thing was every year, um, I was playing ball all year, all year round. You know what I'm saying? In the, in the, in, during the school years, obviously, there was city ball, um, high school ball. And at nights, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would play uh, at my elementary, Bedford. Mm-hmm. We'd be we'd be inside playing three on three. Tuesday, Thursdays, I'd be at uh, Lavois playing hoops from like seven to nine or whatever the case. So I'm playing ball all year round. So that's how I'm getting my my stuff off. You know what I'm saying? That's how I'm mm-hmm. getting my shit off. Trying to make sure that I'm right. Mm-hmm. So that's what it was. That's what it was. That's so I can't even give you. And that's my best answer to you is I was just hooping every day as much as I can. And that's a a big change that I see these days. You know what I'm saying? Like I could drive by a court on a hot day in the summer. It's going to be empty which is yeah. crazy to me, yeah. you know what I mean? But times have changed, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. But that's how I used to get it in. Okay. Just play ball all day long, man. And your, um, your, your brother was a big influence, obviously, in your basketball life. Uh, Huge. How, how was the competition, I guess, for sure you guys would play against each other at that age, young, you know? Uh, you know, we would play a couple times because he would be at the courts as well, and probably we'd, we wouldn't necessarily match up because there would be guys who he would bring. Or, but just being able to watch him, and see what he did to succeed and be able to make it to the level that I wanted to make it to, right? Because mm-hmm. this is a guy who put his blood, sweat, and tears into the game, and I've seen it. I've seen it up close and personal. 
I was blessed to be able to see that, you know what I mean? Because <clears throat> growing up where I grew up at, you know, it's obviously easy. You can be easily influenced and, and, and go the wrong way. But I had a brother, you know, who was playing ball and I was playing ball. I wanted to be like him. So it was easy to, to follow his footsteps. You know what I'm saying? He kind of left me a blueprint and all I had to do was follow it, you know? So uh, battling with him growing up was, was tough. Obviously, he's the older brother and he probably won the majority of the games. Um, <laughs> But I loved it, you know what I'm saying? Push me, push yeah. me on the ground, tell me get up, don't cry, no fouls. You know, it makes you tough. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate him for everything, no question. Okay. And at one point, you decide to go to the States? Yeah, yes, yes. So at one point, I guess it's two, 2006. Yeah. Um, again, through, through Henry, who I used to work out with, I had tried to leave in 2005 to go to a school uh, named Blue Ridge Academy. I think it's in Virginia. And uh, my mom didn't want to let me go. I guess I was too, too, too young for her to leave at that point. So uh, after staying another year and trying to go to CPEC, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar or remember yeah. CPEC. It was a, yes, I used yes. to go to a you know, uh, school in Laval, George Vanier. That didn't work out for me. I went back to Mont Royal. So things were kind of shaky for me academically because I just was not getting what I needed out of the French system for me personally. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was tough. At some point it was tough. I was getting, um, I wasn't as motivated anymore basketball-wise. I felt like I did everything I could do in Montreal and I needed to, to venture off if I wanted to get to my dreams of, you know, being a professional one day. So I ended up leaving for D.C. in 2006. Um, I get out there and um, play in a summer league because, you know, I got out there maybe July, August. So I played in a summer yeah. league and, uh, you know, they obviously, they, I, I got there on scholarship. So me playing that summer when I got there was kind of like a tryout. So, okay. um, you know, so I ended up going to Carroll. They liked me, of course. They kept me. I got a scholarship to go to school for the last two years of my high school career. So that okay. was lovely, man. You know, that's we're playing in a WCAC. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you got a, a lot of big schools. I know you had Kenny on here. and He was telling mm -hmm. you about, you know, some of the, the matchups he had where he had Quinn Cook and, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah. it was pretty much in the same fashion for me. The math was always the top dog. Had Austin Freeman who went to Georgetown. Jeray Grant, who went to Clemson, you know, Kenny Tate, who could have played, who played football at Maryland University, but could have played ball, too, if he wanted to. You know what I mean? So every night we're playing against McDonald's All-Americans or um, guys who are, ended up playing professional basketball. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was, a, that was big for me. For me, mm -hmm. for me, coming from Montreal and playing uh, in, in the, what's it called, NBL, you know, NBL. against these guys and, and me feeling like, you know what, I've, I've exceeded everything that I could do here. Let me see where I stand with American competition. You know, that's always yeah. the thing, oh, the American competition. You know what I mean? So I, I went to, uh, to Carroll. I was probably ranked 300 and something <laughs> in, 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 in Canada. You feel me? Like <laughs> yeah. 200 in Canada. So a lot of people looked at me like I was crazy, but I, I knew what I could do. And obviously I had confidence in myself. So when I went out there, Obviously, the, uh, the, the, the intention was to go out there and make some noise and make a name for myself immediately. Most definitely. And that's what, that's, what, that's what I appreciate about you is that you went out there and you balled out and you made, you opened doors for guys like Kemi and Kenny to go to the same school you went to. You 100%. Know? 100%. That was the whole plan. My plan in going there, as, as I was young, you know what I mean? I was 16 or 17. Um, but my intention was, okay, I'm going to do this and hopefully it could open a pipeline for other kids to see that you know what there is a way because maybe for not maybe not so much kenny and kemi because they knew my brother but maybe for the next generation of guys yeah. maybe my brother was too old for them you mm -hmm. feel me but they could look to me 
because I'm only two generations ahead of them and say and give them the the same kind of mindset that I had like you know what this is possible you know that was always my thing was doing it for the people back home obviously for myself but for the kids who don't believe that there's an opportunity for them yeah you know me doing it seeing someone that they could touch and they could see like you see me at Park X yeah kids see me Kemi Kenny they see me I worked out with them when they were younger we played together so for me to be able to do that you know is showing them that it's possible and that's always been a big thing for me is just showing the next generation that listen don't think that because you're in Montreal that you're stuck. It's always a way. You know what I mean? It's not easy. You know what I'm saying? Because you might need a connection here. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody has a guy like Henry Wong who helped me get to Carroll. You know what I mean? Not everybody has that. But there's always a way. There's somebody out there that has, you know, some kind of connection. Maybe by me doing so well at Carroll, now they're thinking, oh, shit, Montreal got the talent. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's keep going to Montreal and get these guys that nobody knows about. So, you know, we could keep getting our program better. So me going there was a big thing, not just for me, but for all the kids that was going to come after me. Exactly. exactly. And what would you say was the biggest difference from Montreal to, to uh, the States? And also, when you went there, were you, I guess, killing right away or it was a transition? Like, um, The difference, I would say, is, you know, they, they luckily, I was the same way where, everything was ball. Like, you know, the, the saying ball is life is, is really real because that's all I, you know, I'd wake up in the summertime. I'm not thinking about nothing else. I'm thinking about, Hey, let's go, let's go to the court. What time are we linking up so we can go play fives or let's go. I'm going from Cote de Neige. I'm going to La Salle. I'm going to Little Burgundy. I'm going wherever the hoop is at. You know what I'm saying? Whoever's playing, I'm going to go there. So um, the biggest difference was obviously, you know, these guys have like skills and strength trainers from a young age. And these are things that we don't really have access to at, at, at 10 to 15 years old, where these guys are really getting it in because they see it, they're in the States. So it's obviously a lot more in their face than it is in ours in Canada, you know what I'm saying? Or in Montreal. So they really get after it. So you can see the, the physicality. Um, some of the guys were a lot more physically developed than I was because they were just I got to Carroll, and I think that's the first time that I started lifting weights. And I'm 16 or 17 at that time, and that's the first time I'm really lifting weights and have a weight program and that I have to follow. So that just shows you that these guys do this since middle school, or you know, and they and they keep it going. And that's the regime. Um, to answer your second question, I started killing right away, bro. <laughs> I started killing right away. You know what I mean? It was it was for me. It was like there was no time for me to wait around. So when I went for that tryout. You know, and I played in those summer league games. Immediately, I killed. I tell. I told a story because I I told a story a couple of weeks ago where, you know, I w I went there and I was already six 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 seven, and you know, I hadn't started. I didn't get in the game yet, so I'm waiting my turn. And maybe the coaches like, okay, when am I going to put this kid in? Finally, he puts me in, and I kill immediately. You know, I probably I think the first my first play was uh I was at the top of the key, and I. AI crossover left to right, and I finished at the basket. Boom. My second play was I got a steal, and I got a two-hand dunk. So after that, I didn't sub. I played the rest of the game, you know, needless to say. But I played the rest of the game after those plays. But, you know, it was funny because there was a kid on my team who, when I sat on the bench, and he looked at me, he was like, man, get your ass in the post. Because he must have thought I was a big man just because I was six seven. You know, so I found that funny. But I'm like, yo, I'm not no big. Like, I'm a, I'm a big guard. Like, I'm not a big man. You feel me? <laughs> so, uh I killed right away. I ended up, you know, obviously making a team, like I said before. And, like, my first or second uh, day of practice, I get a scholarship offer from uh, Gonzaga University. That was my – or they, they came to the school to visit. Sorry, they didn't 
offer yet, but they came to they from Washington, Seattle, Washington. They came to Carroll so they could meet with me, and uh, you know they they obviously showed their interest, and uh, that was big time. You know, just for a school. You know, again, another guy who paved the way for me is Pierre Marie Altidore Cespedes, who went to Champlain and Gonzaga. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And uh, for them to come down to see me, it's like, damn, I know P Mac is at Gonzaga right now, and that's dope. Like now I'm thinking, you know, this is it's really real. You know, coaches are coming to see me, are coming to inquire about me, and I get my first scholarship offer from Clemson University um, a couple weeks later. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it, it happened quick. Things happened quick for me. I, once I got to the States, man, it, happened, it started happening fast as far as schools, uh, the interest. And I'll tell you guys a story. My first game was against the Matha. I don't know if Kenny's was, but my first game was against the Matha. Our school, the year before, Carroll was, uh, you know, they probably finished in the lower half of the league. So, obviously, the Matha won a championship. This year, they predicted, you know, projected to win it again. And uh, I get there, and obviously, everybody's there. It's a packed house. But everybody's there to see the Matha because they got all the pros. They got all the McDonald's, all Americans. And this is about them. We're at their home court. You know what I mean? So, we come in there. Um, I have, you know, the thing about me is there, there's some guys who may be afraid, let's just say, to play against certain guys. But I don't know them from a can of paint. Regardless, if I did, there's no fear in me because I know what I'm here for. But I guess it made it even better that I don't know who Austin Freeman is at the time. You know what I'm saying? I don't know who anybody is. All these guys to me are, are nobody. You feel mm -hmm. me? So that's how I'm going in the game. And, you know, I, we start the game off and we're giving them a run for their money. They're supposed to blow us out the gym. And immediately I make, a, I make an instant impact on that team. And it was no, it was no, and it was, it, it, it couldn't have happened at a greater time playing against the math. I probably ended up with 25 points, seven, eight rebounds, like four or five assists, some highlight plays. And we only end up losing by probably five or less points. So that kind of shocked everybody. And from that moment, you know, that's when Clemson offered that's because they already had a guy, Jeray Grant at the math. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they offered me um, a couple of days later and the letters start rolling in, the letters start rolling in. It was pretty crazy. Okay. Um, I know that um, you went to Syracuse, but can you talk about the whole process of why you went there and when did they approach you? Yeah, I'll tell you for sure, man. Syracuse has been my dream school. For one, yeah. Melo was my guy, you know what I'm saying, since he was at Oak Hill. And I, I, find, I seen film on him, like, oh, he's nice. I like Melo because, you know, he, he big, big, big wing, you know what I'm saying? He could dribble the ball, smooth jumper. I'm looking like, wow, like, you know, I, I really like his game. So I kept close tabs on him. So when he went to Syracuse, obviously, you know, Syracuse became, because of him, my school to watch, which led me to love the school spirit. You know what I'm saying? You're playing in front of 35,000 people. Coach Beheim was a Hall of Fame coach. And at this point, you know, all this is far-fetched. I'm liking, so this is me going back to Montreal, watching Melo and watching Syracuse and all that, yeah. right? So, um, you know, time goes on, and obviously Syracuse is still my school, and I'm, I'm telling myself, you know, I, I told my homie, actually, when we were playing for the Bisons, I tell him, I'm like, yo, I'm going to play for Syracuse one day. He looked at me like I was crazy. Because just that's just to show you how much saying that back then didn't make sense to somebody. Like, how are you going to get there? You know what I'm saying? Like, how are you going to leave Montreal and get to the States, get a scholarship, and then get to Syracuse? It doesn't make sense to people. But I always believed in it. You feel me? I always believed in it. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I when I got the chance to – I was I got all these scholarship offers, Georgetown, uh, NC State, all the schools in DC, Maryland area. But this whole time I'm waiting for Syracuse. You know what I'm saying? So I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> it has to happen. It has to happen. That's what I'm thinking. Uh -huh. And finally, um, 
sometime around Easter, I feel like uh, the my coach walking into practice, my coach said, hey, I got something for you because he knew how much I wanted to go to Syracuse because I told him. And he said, someone left something for you. So, boom, I go to his office, and he hands me a, a Syracuse card, which is the coach who recruited me. His name is Robert Murphy. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Coach Murph. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I can't even believe it. But it's just a letter of interest. You feel me? It's not a scholarship offer or nothing. But uh-huh. the fact that now that I was on their radar, I said, you know what? Now I got to turn it up a notch. And this is all in my first year at school. I committed my first year at Carroll. You know what I mean? I didn't wait yeah. for my senior year. I, I knew where I wanted to go, and that's what it was. So a couple of weeks later, um, Bayheim and Coach Murphy called me on the phone, and Bayheim actually offered me the scholarship over the phone. And I accepted right then and there. You know what I mean? Oh. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't visit the school before. No. no, I didn't visit before committing. I just knew what it was. I knew what I wanted. And maybe some people would say it was foolish, but I, I like my, my chances. You know what I mean? I'm like, you know what? It's three and a half hours away from home. My family can come see me whenever they want and come to games because that's, that's huge. You know what I'm saying? I've been gone for two years in D.C. where they only came to my graduation my last year. So I didn't want to go somewhere on the West Coast or somewhere far where they wouldn't be able to come see my game for another four years potentially. Mm-hmm. So going to Syracuse, being able to play for Coach Beheim, being able to play in front of 35,000, uh, I mean, let's forget the 35. It's like we're playing in front of 28, 29,000 on a bad day. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's kind of crazy. You know, so all that, you know, it made sense to me. And and obviously going in there and just seeing the history that they had, and it was a no-brainer for me. Yeah. And and when you got there, I was playing in the Big East, playing with Johnny Flynn, playing for an Hall of Fame coach. I was all that experience your first year. My first year, man, playing with, playing with Johnny, just seeing the things he could do. Johnny, I tell people to this day, they say, who's the, who's the nicest player you've ever seen? And I, and I always say, Johnny. You know what I'm saying? Because Johnny at, at 5'11", they list him at six feet. But he's really like 5'10", 5'11". And the things that he could do, you know what I'm saying? He can jump. He's a fierce competitor. You know what I'm saying? He has, he has heart. He, he, like, it was crazy seeing Johnny play. Like, you know what I mean? And being able to see that in front of me and then seeing what happened where he became the, you know, a, a lottery pick the following year or that same year. Yeah, I'm like, wow, you know, that, that, that man was, was special. You know what I mean? Johnny Flynn was definitely special. And obviously being able to learn from Coach Beheim and, uh, was, was, uh, was great as well. You know, it wasn't easy my first year. I didn't play a lot. I was behind Paul Harris. You know, they had, they had guys that were ahead of me, and, you know, I had to wait my turn. I started maybe two games that season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I play, but I, I think I maybe played like 12, 13 minutes a game. I'm not sure. But no, you know, I didn't do anything special. You know what I mean? I didn't do anything special. I spent a lot of that year, you know, paying attention and trying to learn the game and, you know, trying to get better. Um, but it was really my second year at Syracuse that I was able. That summer between my freshman year and my sophomore year, I knew I had to change something because at the end of the season, Coach Beheim basically told me, like, listen, Chris, you're, you're too fat right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? You're too – you got to lose some weight. Like, you got to lose some weight because all that – all that not playing, I'm doing a lot of eating. You know what I mean? I'm doing a lot. Of, they feed you. In college, they feed you. Trust me. You know what I mean? You got after practice, they bring, you know, catered food. You know, so after practice, you have a meal. Before games, you have a meal. And you have this unlimited, uh, your ID card has like $3,000 on it. You can't now. You can't turn it into cash. I tried, but you couldn't. But, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they got, you You could go to all the on-campus restaurants and swipe it. I'm not, I'm not playing, so I'm just eating and you know, you're playing, you're traveling all the time. So it was crazy. At the end of the at the end of the year, I was probably two, like two 
probably 230, 232. And I really play like a 210. You know what I mean? So I had gained a lot of weight. So he basically told me, like, to be able to play for me, you're going to have to be able to do two things. You're going to have to be able to shoot the ball and you're going to have to be able to run because you're a wing. Like, that's what I rely on wings for. You know what I mean? To get out in the lanes and make transition baskets and transition defensive plays. So I'm like, you know what? All right, he's right. You know what I'm saying? I bullshitted this year. I kind of let myself go. So that summer I stayed on campus and I was drinking a gallon of water a day. And I was working out like twice a day, but just doing cardio. My first like month was just cardio, twice a day, just doing cardio. And that's not, nobody told me to do that. That's what I knew I had to do if I wanted to play. Because in college, you know what I'm saying? A coach might not tell you you have to transfer, but what they will do is they'll recruit a guy that's, you exactly six seven okay. same wingspan you know what i'm saying and they're just yeah. going to recruit over you and make you at some point you're going to say you know what shit i'm not going to play that i got to go i didn't want that to be me you feel me so i knew what i had to do um and that sophomore year man it was special you know i, I came out i came back i probably was 207 um came back like a gazelle i could run them yeah. lanes i was jumping higher you know what i'm saying i probably had a, a 40 inch vertical uh, my sophomore year so I came back killing, and I was coming off the bench now. And obviously, when, when Bayheim only plays seven to eight guys, that's his rotation, seven mm-hmm. to eight. And eight is stretching it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So they had a start of five. It was Brandon Trish, Andy Routens, Wesley Johnson, Rick Jackson, Lorenzo Nwaku, and me coming off the bench at six, Scoop Jardine at seven. And then, you know, there was a couple guys that came in and played some spot minutes in the, at the eighth rotation spot. Mm-hmm. And so and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was about to say that's the year you won six men of, of the year, six right? Six men of the year, yeah, six men of the year, six men of the year that year. So I came off the bench and I was able to see, no, I was able to pick my spots. I knew I was ready. And early on that, in, that, in that year when we played our exhibition games and our non-conference games, I was coming off the bench and making an instant impact. And my whole thing was, you know what, when I summon this game, I can't fuck up. You know what I'm saying? I can't mess up because I want to stay in here as long as possible and show that, show the whole world, show the country that I'm, I should be starting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't mad I was coming off the bench, but I wanted to show the world that I should be starting and I wanted to be a superstar in my role. Yeah. And I was, I was, and it ended up working out for me. And I was able to, like you said, get uh, the Big East Six Man of the Year honor. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, Yahoo Six Man of the Year, a couple of different things. I think I was third in the team and scoring behind Wes Johnson and Andy Routens, you know, so from scoring, I think maybe four, I can't remember what I scored my freshman year, but I made a, a significant jump my sophomore year. And I used to get praised by guys like um, Bobby Knight, you know, uh, Jay Billis, Jay Williams, just congratulating me on the jump that I was able to make, you know, and them acknowledging that I could be a starter on any team in the country. And that's how special our team was, is that we had myself and Scoop Jardine who could really start anywhere coming off the bench. So that's what made us that good. How was your How was your uh, March Madness experience that my year? My first March Madness. Yeah. Oh, that year, that year, that year. My sophomore. My first experience was cool. You know, going back to my freshman season, mm-hmm. um, I was able to play against a young Blake Griffin uh, at Oklahoma, and uh, that was pretty dope to see up close because obviously everybody knew about Blake. And um, highlight for me is he. I think he tried to take off on me, but I fouled the shit out of him. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so that was that was happening. That was happening. My sophomore year. The, the March Madness experience was dope, man, because obviously in the first round, I was able to play my brother. You yeah. know what I mean? So that was, that was something that was extremely special to me, and I think that's my best basketball uh, moment 
you know, there's nothing that could eclipse that. You know what I mean? That 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 was my my best basketball moment to be able to play my big brother um, in the NCAA first round. It was in Buffalo. My family came by the boatloads. You know what I mean? So it was amazing. Uh, great for the city of Montreal too to see yeah. that two guys. I don't know if uh, you guys were able to watch the game or remember that time, oh, yeah. but you know, you know, I, I'm doing interviews with uh, LDS and I'm doing interviews with TSN, ESPN, First Take, doing all these things. And it's such a big thing that, uh, you know, two brothers are meeting up in the NCAA tournament. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is my, my blood brother, not same mother, same father, same mother, same father. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it rarely happens like that. Yeah. So for yeah. that to be able to happen for us, uh, for me, it was special. You know what I'm saying? It was definitely special, man. Okay. Special. Um, that year, um, that year, I remember, Everyone was thinking, okay, for sure he's going to the draft. For sure he's going to the draft. He has to, you know. He's having a tremendous year. What? Yeah. what explain why? Why didn't you? Or what happened? Uh, that truth be told, mm. so that year, you know, what I'm saying, like after we have our after the season, we have our uh, end of season meetings with our coaches, and you know, I meet with my coach who recruited me, Coach Murphy, and then you meet with Bayheim, and you know, you just chop it up for a little bit, and we talk and we discuss them. You know, my whole thing was I really wanted to win a national championship. Like, I said, okay, you know, I, I made it to, to, to D.C. and went to Carroll. Now I'm at Syracuse, and I would love to win a national championship. That was how I was thinking. And so we discussed it. And, um, you know, in my mind, I said, you know what? The league is right there. It's not going anywhere. And at that point in time, I'm not even looking at – I'm not even looking into no draft boards or anything of that nature. I'm just like, you know what? I want to win a national championship. Coach Baham tells me we got Deion Waiters coming in next year. Fab Mello, CJ Fear, all these guys were, the, were a great group, of, a, a great class. So I'm like, you know what? With the guys we have returning and the guys we have coming in, we got a shot. You know what I mean? So let me, I'll come back for my third year. You know, so going into my third year, uh, my junior year, you know, and we're doing media day. And the question that already to start the year, the media is asking me, am I staying for my senior year? Am I going to be leaving? After the season, I have no idea. I said, listen, man, I have no idea. This, se this season hasn't even started yet. But because, um, I guess, after me choosing to return to school, uh, I was projected to go in the top, you know, in the lottery. So the top 10 of the draft um, that for that season, right? So that season starts. My junior year starts off, and I do extremely well. We play against uh, Michigan. We play against Georgia Tech in a tournament in Atlantic City. I think I get all tournament of that of that thing or MVP, whichever one it was. We play so Georgia Tech had uh, Glenn Rice Jr. If I'm not mistaken, Iman Shumpert, a couple different guys. Uh, Michigan had uh, what's his name, Tim Hardaway Jr. You know they had a good little team, and I was able to you know get those all tournament honors and the seat. Our the the year keeps going and I'm playing solid. I end up leading the team in scoring. You know, I, my two last, my last two years, I, I led the yeah. team in scoring. So at the end of that year, now I got to get knee surgery. I got to get a procedure done. Okay. And because uh, after the NCAA tournament, my knee had been bothering me all year. And finally, you know, we look at it and it, my patella tendon was uh, partially torn. Oh. Okay. So I had to get it repaired. But what I, what I, what I wish I knew then or what I wish was more popular, or maybe I just didn't know, was you could go into the draft hurt. I'm thinking, nah, if I can't, if I go into the draft hurt, who's going to want to draft me, mm -hmm. right? But during the year, I'm hearing conversations, you know, with uh, team representatives 
saying, yeah, we got Chris High on our boards. You know, we don't expect him to be here past 20, et cetera, et cetera. But now I'm thinking, like, shit, who's going to – I'm hurt now. I'm, I got surgery. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I uh, decided to stay in school. I did my surgery and, uh, right after the tournament, maybe in April. So August, September. Yep. So I did it right in April, and I came back, and I was ready to play my senior year. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's, it started off – actually, started off pretty decent. Mm-hmm. But um, the reason I didn't go in my junior year is because of the knee surgery. And then, obviously, no. my senior year, you have no choice but yeah. uh, because, you know, you got to go. Okay. So that was that's how that junior year went. Okay. Okay. During your four years, who was, the like, the best team and your best player that you played against, like, during your four team. years? Yeah. The best player that we played against? Best team and best player that you had to guard. Well, you know, you know, we play zone, right, at Syracuse. So yeah. it's hard to say who was the best player I had to guard because I never had to guard just one person like myself. But yeah. the best team, I would say, um, was Louisville, man. They were always tough for us. Louisville always was a tough team for us to beat. Always, you know what I mean? Always was tough. UConn wasn't so bad. I think we beat UConn. I might be, maybe I think I only lost to UConn once. So I would say Louisville. You know, I have a losing record against Louisville, if I'm not mistaken, man. So um, I give them their, their, their props. And I think, to be honest, the, the player that killed us the most while I was there, I'll say two people. One is Kyle McAlarney, who went to Notre Dame, point guard shooter. I actually played with him in France a couple of years ago. and used to talk Big East basketball all the time. But another dude is Kemba Walker. He used to destroy the zone. He used to destroy it. You know, they used to set this little inside screen for him, and he used to get into the spaces and create floater, jump shot, pass. It was it, it's dope, man. I played against a lot of – playing in that, in that real Big East, not not the whatever the Big East is today, but that real Big East when I was in school, man, it was a lot, a lot, a lot of talent. A lot of guys went to the league. A lot of guys still playing pro overseas. A lot. Um, because because at that time – At Louisville, Terrence Williams was there. That's uh, my freshman year. Terrence yeah. Williams, Earl Clark. Uh, yeah. They had uh, this dude named Jerry Smith. Um, Samardo Samuels, but he was there also my sophomore year. But, yeah, Terrence Williams and Earl Clark were there, man. Uh, Edgar Sosa. You know, they had a, they had a killer team every year. Yeah. Every year. Um, you know what I mean? Going back, I'll go back to your, um, that, that game against Kentucky, the overtime game. Six overtime against yeah, uh, yeah, UConn. Yeah. UConn, UConn, UConn. Yeah, yeah, UConn. Yeah. Yep. Six overtimes against UConn. I'm a How was that? How was that? It was cool, man. But like I tell everybody, you know, the week, a couple weeks before we had played UConn at UConn, and this is when they had Hashim to beat, Jeff Adrian, Stanley Robinson, AJ Price, Kemba Walker. You know what I'm saying? Like they had a they had a mob too. They had a they had a great team. You know what I'm saying? A lot of leaguers on that team too, and. um We had just played them two weeks ago and lost by like 15, 16 points. So I'm thinking, damn, if we that's a bad matchup for us right now. You know what I'm saying? They're just they, they were bigger and more athletic than us everywhere except maybe the point guard. Well, I mean, yeah, the point guard position because Johnny was more athletic than Kemba, I would say. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're playing them, we're giving it our best shot, and the game is going. The game is tied. You know what I'm saying? We're going, we're battling back and forth, and finally. You know, my man Eric Devendorf gets a gets a pass, shoots it, and everybody thinks it's good. He's jumping on the table. You know what I'm saying? We beat UConn. This is you know, because we for us playing at the garden, that's yeah. a home game. 
you know, that's a home game for us because, yeah. you know, that's right in New York. You know what I'm saying? They call this New York City's college basketball team. And, you know, in New York City, you got St. John's. You got all kinds of other schools. And we're New York's college team. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's a home game for us. And then so, you know, our fans are going crazy. They waved a shot off. And it's like, damn, okay, one overtime is cool. That's normal. Yeah. Double overtime, you can see that, you know, every so often. It gets crazy. Triple overtime, you know, ah, things are kind of getting, <laughs> things are getting spicy. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, four, five, six, it's like, wow, this has never been before. This is, you might as well just, you know, I don't know how they want to do it. Like in soccer, just call it a tie or something. You know what I mean? Because it's getting crazy now. It's looking like nobody wants to win. Nobody wants to go home. It's probably 1 a.m. at this point. It's close to 2 a.m. when the game is over. Um, so it was a great game. It was a great experience. It was an instant classic. I was able to go back to the hotel that night and watch it again on ESPN Classic. It, it was an instant classic. It was yeah. on ESPN. You know what I mean? So that's history. Every year around that time, you know, they'll never stop showing highlights from that game. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? As a freshman, only thing is, is I wasn't able to play. You know, I didn't play that much. I played in – I got it in overtime and still probably played, like, close to 20 minutes. That's just to show you how crazy, like, long the game was. You feel me? Like, Johnny played, like, 60 minutes, something crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it was wild. It was wild, man. It was wild. And But it was a great experience, and it was an instant classic, like I said. And you had a great game against Georgetown. You had, like, 29 points overtime, game-winning shot. Yeah. Yeah, that was my my senior year. You know, that was my senior year. Uh, that was what obviously one of my uh, most memorable games because you know Georgetown was our rival, and uh, I just remember during the game, like it was a, this dude who I didn't even know. He might have been a freshman on Georgetown, just talking all this shit. I'm like, damn, who's this kid? Like, I don't even know him. Like, he's talking crazy to me. Like, all right, bet. You know what I mean? So I I hit a couple. I I have that. I hit a couple threes. Uh, you know, I had a great game, and I definitely hit the game winner. Um, so that was big time. You know, you always want to be able to do that. Obviously, everybody always – it wasn't like a buzzer beater where it was 3-2-1, but it was the game-winning shot. You feel yeah, me? So that was a yeah. big shot. Um, I had a couple big shots that game. And, you know, even then, they had Otto Porter, who ends up being a lottery pick you know, on that team, uh, Henry Sims. Did they have Greg Monroe? No, he he left. He left before that. But you know that was a that was a big game for me. It's always going to be uh, etched in my mind, and I still watch that game to this day. You know, I got my son, so um, we watch a lot of hoops, and obviously I'm gonna play me, you know, as well, so he knows what's what's going on. Yeah. Um, sure. um. Um. So you said you got your knee surgery um, after your junior year. Yeah. So you went to your senior year, and you still killed it. You know. Yep. Yep. Did my thing. Did my thing. I got Big East first. First team All Big yeah. East. Um, honorable mention for all. You know, all All American and all that good stuff. You know, so yeah. I had got a couple couple accolades, yeah. which is dope. You know, just going into uh, being able to do that. You know, just knowing the background, knowing my background. You know, people see. You know, could watch mm-hmm. from home and they don't really know what it is coming from Montreal and be able to accomplish that. Mm-hmm. As far as you know, um, on the basketball scene, you know that this mm-hmm. is not me going and no shade to nothing, but this is not me going from Montreal and going to play like at uh, LIU or something like that. You know what I'm saying? This is the this is Syracuse basketball. This is Jim Beheim. This is the Big East. Mm-hmm. And when you talk Syracuse basketball, you can't say Syracuse basketball without saying Chris Joseph at that time. You yeah. feel me? So, yeah, yeah. you know, that was, big for, that, that was big for me. And like I said before, when we started this thing, is to show, it was to show the youth, to show the next 
kid with those same dreams, hopes, and aspirations that he could do it. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not far-fetched. You know what I'm saying? I saw Chris. We just were working out this summer, and now he's back on campus killing. I'm watching him on TV. That could be me, and that's what I did it for. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and and you said um, you uh, your whole. Your, I know I was reading something about an article that you are the most decorated. You know, at Syracuse, you're the you're most decorated Canadian. You know, yeah. out of Canada, playing NCAA Division One. How, yeah, how 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 does that feel? I I didn't know that till my brother told me a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah? You know okay. what I'm saying? He, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that. So just knowing that, they said I was the most like I was the. After Bill Wellington, I was the yeah. only person to get uh, Big East, uh, all first first team, all Big East. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that till this till he told me. So obviously, that's something else that I could be super proud of, and you know, know that I really, you know, left my mark on Syracuse University. Um, you know, I was able to score a thousand points in my career, so I'm top, you know, whatever it is, 25 in scoring, and all this other stuff. And to look back at that and to think where I came from, you know, Mount Royal High School. Mm-hmm. Um, Sun Youth Dawson community and to be able to do that is special. It's definitely special, man. No, you de- you definitely paved the way. Now we have another we de- we have another guy from Montreal who's on the team yeah, right yeah. now. And yeah, yeah, so. yeah, that's big. I know Q. You know what I'm saying? I was glad uh, uh, not to you know sway the interview for me, but I'm I'm proud of Q too, man. You know what I'm saying? Q, uh, his freshman year reminds me a lot of like what mine did. You know what I mean? Like when when something happens, you know he he gets kind of yelled at or, you know, he's not having the uh, immediate success that maybe he believes that he should have, which is understandable because the kid's talented. Mm-hmm. You know, I love him. I love the way he plays. And I can't wait for them to let him spread his wings and be able to play through mistakes and, you know, not have to worry about looking over his shoulder every time he takes a shot. He was going to do amazing things at Syracuse. Believe me. He's going to go to the league out of there. Believe me. For sure. For sure. How was the uh, how's the whole draft process after the draft surgery? process? Yeah. The draft process was dope, man. I ended up picking my agent and I I moved to Atlanta for the summer because that's where I was based out of to do my uh, my training uh, through my agency. Mm. Um, I knew it was at that point in time, man. You know, the season went how it went. You know, I still I still uh, you know as much as I led the team in scoring and I was the team leader and I was a big part of Syracuse success. That year, they had me, you know, honestly going anywhere. My agent was telling me anywhere. It was no set ranks of where I, I, I could end up. He told me I could be at the bottom of the first or I could be anywhere in the second. So that's what I was going with uh, my whole process. And, um, you know, I was working. I had to work out for 20, damn near every team in the league, um, mm-hmm. 20, 23, four workouts. Um, I had to cancel a couple towards the end because something happened to my groin where it was just insane where you're traveling to Boston. Then I was in, you know what I'm saying, Cleveland. Then I might be on the West Coast. Now I'm in, 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 in working out for Golden State. So you're, you're doing a whole lot of traveling. It's cool, but it's a lot. You know what yeah. I mean? I remember working out for the Wizards and Harrison Bar- it was me and Harrison Barnes in a workout and he had like two suitcases with him full of dirty clothes. I'm like, damn, like, and I had a, one duffel bag full of dirty clothes. You're doing your laundry at the hotels. Like, it's crazy. You know what I mean? I'm, you're, you're having to leave stuff at the hotel because your bag is getting – because you're getting <laughs> gear everywhere you go, too. You're getting gear. You yeah. want to keep it all. But at the same yeah. time, something got to stay back. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it was a wild process. Uh, it was fun, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, I tell people that, you know, at some point, a lot of guys who I was scheduling workouts for because I told my agent, obviously, um, 
match me up with guys who are going ahead of me in the draft, who they got going in the first round, so that teams could see that if they're thinking about this guy and I could compete and do well against them, that yeah, they have a they have an argument like, oh, this guy's going in the first. What about this Chris Joseph kid? You feel me? So that was my whole thing. And after a while of working out, a lot of guys that were ahead of me stopped. Uh, they would start canceling their workouts because you could do that. Like, do you want to go work out for this team? You have it scheduled. You could see who's in the workout. Oh, my matchup is Chris Joseph. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> I remember him from Syracuse. That's how it went. You know, that's how oh, it really yeah. went. That's yeah. how it really went. And it's a lot of guys who I've seen along the way and even, you know, into my rookie year and uh, that would tell me, like, yeah, I was in a workout with so-and-so and he said he didn't want to see you in the workout. Like, he didn't want to, so he told his agent. You know, that's just how it go, and it's smart. I can't blame him, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But I wanted to smoke with everybody, you know, who was ahead of me. Mm-hmm. That's just how I had to do it, you know. So draft night comes along, and I'm at the crib watching it with my family. The first round goes through. My name wasn't called. And I had a great chance of uh, getting picked by the Heat. I had a great, great, great workout with the Heat. And Pat Riley was there. And, uh, you know, obviously he had told me, like, he was impressed and next on the third. So they had, like, the 20-something pick, maybe between 25 and 30. I'm uh, between 25 and 29. But they didn't pick me, so I knew my first round shots were, were done. So obviously we move on to the second round. And I could have also got picked up by Detroit, who had two picks in the, in the second they end up picking Chris Middleton and uh, Kim English. So mm-hmm. that was done for. So now I'm looking at the draft and I'm like, shit, you know, I got my family, my friends, like this better happen. I don't want to be one of those stories where, you know, everybody gets invited to a party and then yeah. I don't get trapped. Yeah. You feel me? You yeah. don't, wanna, you don't yeah. want that to happen. I still was confident at the end of the day, but, you know, then finally, you know, uh, I had, I knew it was on commercial break and I knew I got picked up by the Celtics and my agent called me. And he told me, you know, they're going to pick you with their next pick at 51. Ray, Ray, Ray. So I'm trying to keep my cool, but I'm excited as hell. But I'm not trying to, you know, I'm trying to give that moment to everybody that's in the crib for them to hear with the 51st pick, the Boston Celtics select, yeah. Chris Joseph. I went crazy, you feel me? So that was a, that, you know what I'm saying, was obviously my second, you know, as far as basketball memories. My brother stays mm-hmm. at first being drafted. That's a dream of yours, you know, as a kid. You say that all the time. How many times you see a kid say, you know, I want to play in the NBA. I've been saying that since I was shooting baskets in the garbage can. You yeah. feel me? So to be able to see that happen and it all come to fruition, it was amazing, man. So I was at a loss for words. Obviously, it was an emotional night, um, full of emotions, you know what I mean? So nothing bad, all positive. It was good vibes. But, you know, it's just all the hard work that, that you feel that you put in till that point, you know, it meant something. You know, you yeah. did it for a reason. So that was dope. Yeah, we all we all remember me. I remember watching that draft. So yeah, all Montreal, uh, yeah, all, all Montreal was was oh, happy up, for, was yeah. happy for you. And yeah. also, two of your teammates got drafted. Like Deion yeah. Waze got drafted for it, and Fab Milo got drafted twenty two. So yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah, all yeah. of you were happy. Yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. I called Dion. I called Fab when we got drafted. When they got drafted. Um, you know, and, and to see that I was going to be in Boston with Fab, that's a plus. You know, I'm going to, yeah. I, I, I'm going, I'm going there with somewhere that that's not that wasn't just my teammate, that was my dog. You know what I mean? So shout out to Fab, man. Rest in peace to Fab. But you know, I was excited to be able to uh, be on the team with him, someone that I knew, because um, obviously I wasn't going to a young team, right? This is a team full of vets at that time. Yeah. Jason Terry, vet Kevin Garnett, super vet. Paul Pierce, super vet, you know what I'm saying? Rondo, Jeff Green, we had Chris Wilcox, we had Barbosa, you feel me? Like, we had all super vets on our team. So, uh, going there, I knew it was going to be, you know, I was, I was going to learn a lot. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but I was ready to take on whatever, you know what I mean. And and so, what and what did you learn from uh, Doc Weaver? Like, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Oh, do, yeah, Hall of Fame coach. Even Tyrone Lou, who was my summer league coach, but that's a you know he's a and you know he won a chip with the Cavs. But even learning from him, you know what I'm saying, because that's Doc's like apprentice, you know what I mean. But learning from Doc, you just learned, you know, uh, you don't practice that much in the league, right? Already, mm-hmm. you don't practice that much, especially with an older team like we had. Uh, practices are limited, but you're just able to see how much he, you know, his X's and O's and his uh, after timeout plays and just being able to learn the game, like slow the game down. Not everything has to be fast. Because certain mm-hmm. times when you're a kid, you you're, do everything at game speed. <laughs> but not everything, not everything has to be done at, at, at 110%, 110 miles per hour. So, you know, he just taught me how to slow the game down a little bit, pick my spots. But as much as I had Doc, I had someone who I admired Paul Pierce right there mm-hmm. that I was able to see who I was able to play one-on-one against every, before every practice. I was able to see Kevin Garnett come in and be a professional, even at 30, whatever he was, 33, 34 years old, come in every day, get his lift in, shoot a shot. And this is before practice, Paul, same thing, working out beforehand, get his, get his lift in, shoot a shot. Now we play one-on-one. So seeing that, I'm like, shit, what's my excuse? They got kids family at this point I have no kids no nothing I'm chilling at home and I'm like I should be getting here way earlier you feel me so mm-hmm. being able to learn be, learning how to be a professional in that organization is easy because they're a top class um, yeah. organization you know what I'm saying Boston has a lot of a lot of a lot of history you know but what I tell people all the time too is being drafted by the Celtics was like a gift and mm-hmm. a curse you feel me because mm-hmm. and by curse I don't want you to take that literal but it was like a gift, obviously, because Doc, like you mentioned, Hall of Fame, yeah. Kevin Garnett, Hall of Fame this year coming up. He's in getting into mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame. You know what I'm saying? Paul Pierce, future Hall of Famer. Rondo, future Hall of Famer. You know what I'm saying? So these are all guys who I'm around who I'm kicking it with on a daily, just listening to them talk uh, in the locker room, like hearing how they break down people's game, film sessions. You know, so I knew I was going to learn a lot. But also, I knew I wasn't going to play a lot. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in a position where um, you know, I'm on a team that doesn't care if they make the playoffs or not. Like, I don't know. I don't want to say nothing crazy, but let's just say a team that doesn't have aspirations or are not um, expected to make the playoffs, there's less, there's less expectation. So there's less pressure to win. You mm-hmm. feel me? So, you know, I, I, there's no room for experimenting. This team at that point in time, they went with their number one pick, which was Jared Sullinger. And, you know, they didn't even give my, my boy Fab that much smoke, but Jared was their guy. You know what I'm saying? Me and Fab were sent down to the D-League where I did everything I was supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? I, I just was watching a D-League game of mine the other day. I went crazy. I don't even remember these games, but I probably, I had like 29. You feel me? Like, that's just me watching the game, not just looking back and seeing how things were. And, um, you know, you could do everything right, but the situation sometimes is what people don't understand. First and foremost, it's a business. The NBA is a business. You know, we as fans, you know what I'm saying, see the glitz and glamour of it. You see the game when it's shot, but that shit that happens behind, you know, closed doors, that business side of it, you don't see. You hear about a trade or you hear about free agent signings, but it's a business. You feel me? So, like I said, people are invested in this team. They're not going to play me over Jeff Green, who they just paid, you know what I'm saying, $15 million a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or Courtney Lee, who they just paid some money to. And those are all wings, you know, mind you. Paul Pierce, Courtney Lee, Barbosa. Jeff Green, like, it's just so many wings on that team. It's like, where are they going to find room to get me in? You feel me? So 
my preseason was good too. The preseason, I remember playing against the Knicks in preseason and doing well, playing against Philly and doing well. Um, you know, the NBA is obviously a step up from college, but Syracuse prepared me well enough to be able to play in the league. You know, yeah. uh, you know, I'm six seven at the end of the day, athletic. I could play, I could play in the league, and it was fun. You know, so after my preseason, I was like, you know, this is not so bad. You know, yeah. and I'm practicing, like I said, I'm working out against Paul every day. I'm 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 shooting, doing shooting competitions with Jason Terry, who's you know top six on the all time three point you know yeah. NBA in history and all that. So I'm 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 working my way to make sure that I'm ready for my when my opportunity is called. And when I'm going down to the D League, I'm doing everything I have to do. You know what I'm saying? I'm on assignment. So obviously I get, you know, a couple more plays called for me. They expect me to do well. When you're on assignment, you can't go down there and start bullshitting. You got to do yeah. something to show, like, we need you on this team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I'm playing. That whole year goes goes by. And January comes around and the team is in New York or something like that. I think the, they were playing the Knicks, if I'm not mistaken, or the Nets. I'm not sure. And we, I had a D-League game, which is uh, which was like an hour and a half drive from where I was staying, you know, in, uh, in, in Maine, from where I was staying in Boston. And I remember I, I had a game. I get back to the crib, boom. And the next day, uh, Danny Ainge wanted, to come, wanted me to come see him. But I'm thinking, shit, the team is in, in New York. What do you want to see me for? You feel me? It can't be good news. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It can't be good. Like, if that was the case, he would have just sent me on a jet right to New York. You know what I'm saying? If it was good news, like, it's nothing to discuss. But he wanted to come. He wanted me to come see him in the locker room. So I went to see him in the locker room. And, you know, he sat down. He's like, well, Chris, you know, uh, we're, we're going to have to let you go. And I'm looking at him like, okay, cool. Right? I'm just listening to him talk. And he says, it's nothing that you did. You did everything perfect. You know, you played well in the, with, 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 the red, with the Red Claws. You know, here in practice, you gave the guys the extra boost they needed. So everything was, you know, he's pretty much praising me for what I was doing. But at the end of the day, like I said before, it's a business, right? At this point in time, we had probably lost. We just went, we just came back from a West Coast trip where we played the Clippers, the Kings, and the Warriors. Lost all those games by 20. So now you're going into the, now in January, February is like when you really got to start getting into playoff mode, right? Yeah. So he's probably thinking like, yo, man, listen, we need somebody that could help us when we need help. You know what I'm saying? And maybe he just didn't feel or him personally didn't feel like I was able to was going to be able to do that. So, you know, when you're at the bottom of the totem pole, that's just how it works in the league. Man. It's mm-hmm. like in any professional sport, for real, for real. But that's how it happened for me. That's how. I, and I think they ended up signing like Terrence Williams, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. You know, so. You know, that wasn't a – and it, it was wild because I was telling the story a couple of weeks ago. When I get released, I go back to my car and I'm chilling. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn, I'm trying to just taking it in. Like, damn, that just that really just happened to me. Like, you know, you again, glitz and glamour. You don't see that. Yeah. You know, when a per, you, and obviously I never experienced it. So I'm like, shit, this is my first year in the league and I'm already going through this, huh? You know, growing pains. You, you live and you learn. You go through it. Cool. I'm in my car. Uh, Doc Rivers calls me. I drive back to my apartment. Doc Rivers calls and he's telling me like, you know, he he didn't even know that it was going to happen. So he had no part in that happening for him. Everything was cool. That happened like on a back door, you know, yeah. from Danny Ainge. Like he just took matters into his own hands. So you know, that's how that went down. So shout out to Doc for real because he gave me a good little pep talk, and um, you know, uh, you know, he, he's a real one for sure. Mm-hmm. A couple of my teammates called me. Um, 
you know, we, we still were kicking it because I stayed there for like a week, two weeks. And, you know, I was still going around those crib. We were kicking it. And, you know, it was normal. You feel me? I was go back and go back to the, to the facility to work out just before I ended up leaving. So I didn't know what the next step was for me. You know what okay. I mean? I ended up having a, uh, I ended up driving back home and, uh, you know, waiting for the next opportunity. Because at this point, I'm not with Boston, so I'm clearly not with the Red Claws because I was on assignment. Okay. So now it's like I'm a super free agent. I don't know what's going to happen. And what ends up happening is uh, I get a call to get back with the Red Claws, but strictly on a um, D-League contract. Yeah. Feel me? So I was like, okay, cool. I'll do that. You know, I'm familiar with the guys. I can go back there, and I'm still the man at the end of the day. I just left, I just left two weeks ago, and I was the man. Nothing changes now because I'm not – on assignment anymore you know what i'm saying you guys i done i done built my trust with you guys and y'all know what i could do so i go back it's a comfortable situation i think like two three games of me being there i get traded to the springfield armor in the d yeah. league i'm like damn this is crazy like i just got traded like i just got released two yeah. three weeks ago now i'm getting traded so you know again part of the business whatever it was that they had going on obviously at the time that they told me to come back to play for the Red Claws, they probably didn't know that that was going to happen, but it ends up, you know, that's how it goes. That's how the cookie crumbles. Yeah. So I but, go to spring. No, go ahead. No, so that's about how do you stay like a professional mentally? and yeah, 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 mentally yeah. with all that's happening and that's your first year? Like how? It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. But I'll tell you what, Rondo gave me some great advice. He told me because one day he saw me laughing with Danny Ainge and I was just, you know, that's just my personality. You feel me? I could, I'll laugh with y'all, make jokes. I don't care if you're a player, a ball boy, whoever. You know what I'm saying? That's just me. And uh, he tells me, he brings me to the side. Sorry. He brings me to the side and he says, yo, Chris, man, like, you know, just a little word of advice is don't get too close to these, like, people, management and all that because the day that something happens to you, you're going to take it personal because you're going to feel like, shit, we just were laughing Damn. and having a blast and now you're trading me or cutting me. And I was like, yo, you know what? You're right. So from that moment on, I kept it like kind of like a, a distance. And I, I knew at that point in time, it was like, you know what? This is just part of the business. I know it's nothing personal. You know what I'm saying? I know it's nothing with me because I know what I'm capable of doing and I'm able to contribute. But between it being a business, between the situation I was in, the opportunities I was given, there's a lot of things that have to happen for certain guys to, to be able to go play. You know, mm -hmm. prime example is like, Chris Middleton and Kim English, who got drafted by the Detroit Pistons, they go on to a team where they aren't, they're not expecting to do nothing. So those guys are getting opportunity. It's like, why not put them in at the end of the day? Like, okay, well, we're not expecting to go to the playoffs or to be really good. You know, uh, why not put those guys in the game? So these guys are playing. Chris Middleton is playing, you know, hella minutes for the, for the, for the, uh, for the Pistons. Kim English, the same thing. But when I'm matching up with them boys in the D-League, It's not showing, you know what I'm saying? We're going, we're going shot for shot. Me and Chris, me and Kim, yeah. it was, it was, it wasn't no, you, it wasn't no clear cut. I'm better than him or he's better than me. He just has an opportunity to play. Yeah. Whereas I didn't, you feel me? Mm -hmm. So that's how that worked out. And then I ended up getting, like I said, um, traded to the Springfield armor. That was wild. But you know what? I'm like, you know, it is what it is. Like, this is the life I chose. This is what comes with the life of a professional athlete and um you know you gotta tuck your nuts and just go on to the next destination man you know what i mean so i ended up going to springfield again i ended up doing well and um 
you know, a couple of weeks later, or a couple, maybe a month or so later, I get the call that I was going to get uh, called up by the Nets. You know what I mean? And I ended up getting, not that, it, not to say that it's an accolade, you feel me? I got first team all rookie in the uh, yeah. in the D League. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's still, there's a lot of guys there, but I was able to go ahead and, and do that as well. So I get called up by the Nets, which was amazing. You know, D. Will, Joe Johnson, who I, who I love, smooth, ISO Joe. Gerald Wallace, Brooke Lopez, Marshawn Brooks, Tyshawn Taylor. You know, we had a good little team. Keith Bogans, Chris Humphreys. Um, had a good little squad. You feel me? And uh, But this was right, like, I think there was two, three more games left. Maybe maybe a little more in the regular season. And then I was supposed to be signed off for the for the playoffs. So, you know, the 10, days start, they, 10 days are like this. You get a 10-day contract. Cool. They like you after 10 days. They give you another 10-day. Okay. And at the third 10-day, they have to keep you for the year. Okay. So first one went through. And it's tough, right? Sorry. Because at the end of the day, at that point in the season, there's really, really no practice to really show, you know, give, another, again, an opportunity. That's a key word that you want to retain from this, uh, this podcast is, is opportunity. You know, when you're playing in them professional ranks, like you need yeah. the opportunity to show what you're able to do. Mm-hmm. Right? So I get a 10-day, 10-day, then they keep me for the season. Uh, for the playoffs, and uh, I was supposed to be coming back. Uh, I was supposed to play summer league with them, and, you know, I had a non-guarantee for the following year. But after the season ends and we lose to Chicago in the playoffs, I'm talking to Billy Billy King, who was the GM at the time, and we they fired uh, P.J. Carlissimo and hired Jason Kidd and, um, as, a, as, as a head coach for the first time. So Jason Kidd was going to um, coach summer league. So the plan was I was in I, I didn't go home again. I stayed in New Jersey. I, I got a, uh, an apartment like five minutes from the practice facility. So I was there twice a day getting my workouts in and then coming back at night and getting shots up on the gun. And uh, Jason Kidd would be around and he would see that. Like, you know, and I wasn't doing it for him to see it. I'm doing it because, listen, I done been trade. I've been released. I've been traded in the D League. And yeah. This shit can't happen no more. That's how I'm thinking. So I'm getting it in so that I could get ready for summer league and kill. And, you know what I'm saying, obviously show them that, you know, my spot should be solidified, whatever the case may be. Draft night comes around. I'm at the, I'm at the Barclays, matter of fact, for the draft. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we get the free tickets. We're on the team, so that's yeah. our arena and all that. So I'm at the Barclays, and you see, I see my dog, Michael Carter-Williams, get drafted. That was dope. You know what I'm saying? I'm in there I'm with them. And all of a sudden, I get I see a tweet. I'm on my phone regular. You know what I'm saying? I get a tweet. I see a tweet saying, uh, welcome back to Beantown or some shit like that. You know what I mean? I'm looking at my phone like, welcome back to Beantown. What is, what is he talking about? I have no idea what's going on. And then a tweet start coming in like crazy. Welcome back with the four-leaf clover. I'm like, what? Boom. As I start getting more confused, my agent called me like, yeah, bro, they, uh, they just traded you to Boston. I'm like, Damn, that's tough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, so what's next? And he said, the only thing is, is you're on a non-guarantee. And they also traded, you know, Marshawn Brooks, Keith Bogans, Gerald Wallace, Chris Humphreys. Those are four guys with guaranteed contracts. And there's so already with the four of them going to Boston, one of them have to get released because there's not enough roster spots. And that's a guaranteed guy. So there's no way that I had a, even, again, an opportunity to do anything over there in Boston, right? So mm-hmm. at that point in time, it was just kind of like, shit, I had to take a seat. I had to, you know, that part of it, that that 
part was tougher to handle mentally just because a few weeks ago, not even a few weeks, a few days ago, you know, I'm having a conversation with Jay Kidd and, you know, uh, Billy King, and we're talking about Summer League and how, you know, he wanted me and Tyshawn Taylor to, uh, you know, pretty much carry the load for the team during Summer League. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'm like, all right, bet. You know what I'm saying? I'm, this is the opportunity. This is what I've been looking for, you know, to be able to be – because my first year of Summer League with the, with, with, uh, the Celtics, I did all right. But the, the, the thing was give the ball into Sully. You know what I'm saying? Give the ball into Sully. Mm -hmm. I just end up doing my thing because – I'm able to do that as far as, you know, create an opportunity on the offensive glass or transition, whatever the case may be. So I'm thinking, okay, I get to go, I get to go into summer league and, and be quote unquote, the man, you know what I'm saying? Alongside, uh, Tyshawn Taylor never ended up happening. So at that point it was like, you know what? It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I ended up going to, to Vegas that year. I mean, to Orlando, I think I went to Orlando and Vegas to watch Summer League and also to, to try out for a couple of teams in the CBA, uh, the Chinese League. And, um, yeah, bro, that's, that's how that went down, man. That's how that went down. Wow, wow. Um, so after um, I see you played a couple of pro teams, what, what, was that, what, how's that different, you know, the pro teams uh, overseas and in the NBA? Oh, man, you, there's no comparing the league, man. You know, in the league – you know, I used to make fun of guys like Luke Walton, for instance. That's the first name that pops up to mind because he's at the end of the bench. Mm -hmm. He's a super clapper, super high fiver. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, wow, this guy's on a team where like he's not really doing much and he's just taking up space on the bench. But let me tell you, I was also that guy. You feel me? When I got to the league and I'm a super clapper. Now I'm like a super high fiver myself, but I could also bust your ass. You feel me? So like, I knew that being in that position, I'm like, you know what? The league is really real because the 12th man could really, really just needs an opportunity to poop, and he probably can. I'll never forget, Chris Humphreys told me when I was with the Nets, and he was like, you know, man, to be honest, the best, like, the best thing you could hope for is for someone to get hurt. And as messed up as that sounds, it's like, it's real because that's the only way that you're going to be able to play at this point in time is if someone gets hurt and they have no choice but to Jay Lynn, you like that's Lynn sanity was just a throw in like, Oh, go ahead. Boom. Mm -hmm. And it ended up working and, and he went crazy and he took, he took advantage of the opportunity that was given to him. Mm -hmm. So not to keep throwing that word around, it just keeps coming back up and that's what it really is. You know? So for you to get a shot, sometimes you got to hope for someone to get hurt. Depends on the situation that you're in. You know what I mean? Not everybody's going to come in on some, you know, all the lottery picks are going to play all the guys that they have high hope for and that they invest money in. Those guys are going to play, no question. But when you get down to the 10th, 11th, 12th man on the roster, and you're really only getting spot minutes, you got to, yeah. you know, some, if someone gets hurt, that's, that's going to be your shot to go ahead and, you know, take advantage of everything. So, but the difference in the, uh, Europe and the league is, you know, again, just the 12th guy in the, in, 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 on a pro team is probably not that great of a player. He's probably not that good. As opposed okay. to in the NBA, the 12th guy, could start anywhere in Europe. You feel me? Like that's that's the main difference. And the thing is, uh, the thing I like about the European game is that it's really uh, it's smart. You know what I mean? It's not you know there's there, it's almost like college with the plays that they run, screen back screens. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Screen to screen is all that type of stuff. So I think that for me, uh, you know, th those are kind of it's a, it's a, a lot slower. Obviously, um, they're not fast because there's not as many athletes as in the NBA. So I think that's another thing. But they're really smart. Their IQ is really high. And I think that's what I could take away from the pro game in Europe. Okay. Um, 
Do you want to play the game or are you having a... Oh, most def, most def. Um, so, um, uh, I'm a, you know the game start, bench, cut? Yes, sir. Yeah, start, bench, cut. So I'm going to give you three things. You got to start one, bench one, and cut one. I got you. Um, so the first one is um, being able to play for uh, Syracuse coach, Jim, Jim Bam. Okay, yeah. that's one. Uh, this, the second one is being um, on your second year, having your best year. I mean, I was in uh, maybe all four years were good at Syracuse, but your second year when you were second year, yeah, yeah, that's that year. That's that yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That and the third one is being able to be being drafted to the NBA and I guess being around the Hall of Famers. And oh, Zimmer. man. Okay. So <laughs> this, this, that's easy. So, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going I'm to I'm go ahead and uh, start that sophomore year. You know what I mean? That's what, okay. number one. And then second got to be getting drafted. Bayham, as much as you're a Hall of Famer, boy, you got you, you lose this one. You know? so, <laughs> definitely oh, definitely right. got to cut Bayham. Got to cut Bayham, man. Okay, okay. Yep. And, and also, like, I just want you to name your top five player ever that you play with. So if you would have to make a starting five from PG to center, who would you put? You're talking about from Syracuse or Syracuse and the NBA? No, uh, uh, high school, Syracuse, uh, NBA, everything that you, I, that I you play, play with? with. You yeah. play with, play with. Johnny. Okay. Johnny at the one. Uh, shoot, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go. Paul, uh, Paul Pierce at the two. Okay. Joe Johnson at the three. Okay. I guess I gotta go big ticket at the four. Okay. And then at the five. I got to go with my dog, Arenze Onwaku from Syracuse. Oh, okay. Yeah. And who, who's the sixth man and who's the coach? I, can I, I'll put myself sixth man. Okay. You, know, I got, okay. I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I put myself sixth man. I got, I got success in that role. And the coach, yeah. uh, I, would put, I would put Doc Rivers as the coach for sure. He would, he, would know, he would know how to do it. He would know how to win some, some games with that team right there for sure. Yeah. Um, no question. It's crazy. When I was young, I used to watch um, – <laughs> Your game Express versus Mont Royal when you used to okay the Kareem versus yeah. Randy oh sorry where Randy you were you where you you were at that game yeah like because uh, I went to Lauren Hill so we just okay, go word. Lauren Hill Academy so we just go right across at Express yeah 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 yeah, yeah. did you were you were you there in the finals there was a there was a big final game I don't know if you remember man we ended yeah. up losing yeah um, but I gave them boys everything I had man I I'm see. telling you I, re I remember that game to this day <laughs> yeah. Um, I just needed one of my guys, man. He just wasn't ready for the moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, th those bright lights weren't for him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was, it was, uh, his name was Didier. Uh, Didier, yeah. <laughs> he, came, he, came, he came from Stanislas, you know what I'm saying? And that was my dog all through the – you know, that was we were that one-two punch, like, yeah. throughout the whole year. But he, he, he folded on me in the, in the finals. Folded. <laughs> yeah, the, those games are crazy. That was tough. Yeah. yeah, that was tough, man. That was, you know, for me, that game was um, – it was dope because, you know, obviously Kareem and Randy, we grew up in the same neighborhood or whatever. And we obviously threw Sun Yu through playing together in the summertime. Yeah. It's a lot of – you know, you want to win because you want to have bragging rights at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. You know, on top of the fact that um, 
Like you you just want you want to you want to win the game. But for me, it was a little special because that was the first game my mom came to. You oh, know, so yeah. it's funny because, you know, my mom like she she you know my parents are from Trinidad. So before we started playing hoop for real for real, my mom didn't really super follow basketball. So you know, in high school, I would come, I would you know, I'd be, you know, I might see her while I'm walking home from school, or I might come home and be like, you know, mommy, look, I scored like 30 points today, and she's like, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, she's not really understanding what that is. So for her to come to my final game, you know what I'm saying, and I, I I wanted to win so bad because that was the first game she came to. And that's why I was more heated at my teammates, like, more than anything. It's like, damn, DJ, like, this the time you choose to fold on me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I needed you. I oh, needed man. You. You, fall, you fall like a beach, beach chair. Yeah, yeah, like a beach chair, man. <laughs> Yo, oh, um, my God, shout out to DJ, man. Dernière question en français. Euh, moi, je me pose ça. Est-ce qu'il y a des stéréotypes quand tu vas à Syracuse, à ce que, comme tu as dit, vous jouez en zone? Puis est-ce qu'il y a des comme, scouts qui, qui sont comme, oh, on va peut-être pas prendre des, des joueurs de Syracuse, à ce qu'on sait pas comment ils jouent défense, à ce qu'ils jouent yeah. zone? Yeah, 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 100%. The zone, but that's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not speculation, but that's what people think. You know what I mean? And, and, and I tell people all the time, that zone has man-to-man principles. Yes, the only thing you're not doing is you're not chasing the guy off the screens and, you know, staggers, you know what I'm saying? We're staying in our zone, which is what mm -hmm. we're supposed to do. But there's a lot of movement in that. And also, what people don't know is at Syracuse, we play man-to-man -man in practice a lot. Yeah. So as much as we don't do it in games because that zone is our bread and butter, we play man-to-man -man a whole lot, you know, in practices and the drills that we do. So if anything, it's like I just didn't have the knowledge of how to properly chase a guy off of a screen and how I have to dip my shoulder or avoid the screen, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But it is, a, is it, a, it is a stereotype because throughout my draft process, that question was asked to me many a times. How do you think you're going to be able to play defense in the NBA after playing four years of zone? And like I say, defense is a pride thing at the end of the day. Everyone's here. You're athletic enough to be able to move around. At the end of the day, you're a professional just like me. You're going to score at some point. I'm not going to hold you to zero points. You're going to make a tough shot. You're going to get past me because at the end of the day, you're here at the highest level with me. So if you played man in college or if you played man in the league, at the end of the day, these are guys that you're supposed to be neck and neck with. You know, I don't, I don't expect – I don't think anybody expects that when they used to see me that, oh, yeah, I'm going to – Chris is not going to score a point tonight. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Unless I don't shoot, you know, something's mm -hmm. going to go in. Like, I'm going to get – like, something's going to happen. So, you know, I think it's a stereotype. And, like, again, like I said, you know, defense, playing defense is more about pride than anything, man. So, you're going to stick that guy. You're going to try to do your best to stop him from scoring. You know, at the end of the day, defense is what you want to do is you want to make a guy take tough shots. You know, when we, in the NBA, what they said when, you know, when we play against LeBron, when we play against like Kyrie or, you know, Kobe or whatever the case is, the scouting report is, yeah, we're going to stop him. No one's that crazy. You know, it's let's make him score 30. If he scores 30, let's make him do it by taking 20, 22 shots. Let's make it a tough night for him. Okay. You know, because they know at the end of the day, when you're at that level, you're not holding anybody to zero. Like, the only way that could happen is if you miss every shot. Like, that's the only way. It's, I won't, you know, a guy obviously like Kawhi is an elite defender, and he can't hold guys to like zero points, like for a whole game. You know what I mean? So, 
it's just it's just silly to think that you know the zone affects you um in man-to-man defense if you have lateral quickness if you have athletic ability if you're a wing like you should be able to play defense you know it's not super hard to stay in front of a guy it's more so coming off of the screens and uh flare screens you know not to get hit and things of that nature you know just being in the right help spots when you're supposed to be you know but but again in that zone when the ball moved we moved so it's the same thing again man-to-man principles so to answer your question i think it's bs you know what i mean but (laughs) a lot of people a lot of people believe it though and i don't i don't blame them i don't blame them um before we go um one, one more game i remember i'm sure a lot of people do is uh Dawson versus Paget. Yeah, you those were, those were big. Yeah. You know, those were big time. You know, they had a Ernst, man. Ernst, I was I give Ernst his flowers. He's one of the toughest guards to come out the city. You know what I mean? And even him, like, you know, when he was able to go uh play D one, I was I was happy for him. You know what I mean? Because this is another guy who comes from the same kind of world that I come from. Mm-hmm. Uh I played against him, I competed against him, and he was able to, you know, take his talents and, and go across the border and do something special. You know what I mean? But we used to have them battles, man. That whole, like I said, Page, Saint Michel, um, uh, um, um, Brookwood. You know what I mean? Sunyuf Dawson. This is elite guys playing like for Montreal. That 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 pool of talent, like that was crazy at that time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think there's been a big drop off in recent years, and I think the reason for that is because kids are starting to find ways and they're going to the states early so the leagues are obviously watered down a little bit yeah but you can't blame a kid for wanting to make that move early because they're changing the rules with high school and clearing house and there's yeah. a lot of different rules now than when i was coming or you know than when i went to syracuse but i also went to school in the states anyway but you know so they're making it easier on themselves instead of having to do the cjep route and then yeah. i don't even know how that works then you only get two years in college or something crazy so you know Mm-hmm. Again, man, um, you know, shout out to Montreal basketball, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Like, but sh- that that them people mm-hmm. I came up with, whoo, you just yeah. named a killer right there. Ernst was a killer, man. Yeah. Trust me, Ernst was a killer, man. Oh, he was man. a killer. Ernst uh, was a killer. So listen, Chris, man, we appreciate your time here with us talking basketball. And you know, is there anything you're doing special during this whole time, this whole pandemic that's going on? Nothing special, man. Nothing special. Just uh, trying to waiting on the next opportunity um, and just seeing how this whole thing plays out because who knows, man. They don't know what's going on, you know what I'm saying, or when it's going to stop, when it's going to yeah. be safe again. So just playing it by ear, you know, and enjoying the time. You know, I'm just home anyway. And usually the summer times is when I take time to relax regardless. So I'm glad that I'm able to be home and just do what I do. Usually I come back home from, from overseas a little bit later than this. So to be able to be home, unfortunately, I can't be out. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't go see my mom or whatever the case is, but it's cool. You know, I'm home and I'm chilling. Right. You know, so uh, probably just a little word for anybody, any 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 young athletes that's going to be watching this in Montreal. Yeah. I just want to tell them that, you know, uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot more guys since me that were able to make certain jumps. You know, you got Chris Boucher now who's with the Raptors. Um, Lou Gens is there with uh, OKC. You got Quincy uh, doing his thing at Syracuse. Who again, Quincy's going to the league from Syracuse. Trust me, this next season is going to be crazy for him. It's going to be big. Um, you know, I just want to tell them to, you know, keep keep striving, man. You know what I'm saying? It's um, it's never too late. You know what I'm saying? It, it just keep striving. Don't don't uh, sell yourself short. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of the day, never expect more, like, 
like always, you know, let me say this. A lot of people ask me sometimes and I'm like, listen, man, at the end of the day, there's no one that could be more disappointed in myself than I will be. You know what I'm saying? So always expect the best from yourself. If you can look at yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, oh, shit, I gave this shit my best shot, then cool. But don't sell yourself short. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't let anybody else ever be happier for you, for your successes, and more disappointed for you in your failures. You know what I mean? Yeah. Failures also bring a lot of character. Um, the road to success isn't straight. I know a lot of people heard that, but it's the truth. Yeah. You know, and, I, and it's the truth, man. Look, I went through a lot in my first year being a professional basketball player. It was tough. My first year at Syracuse was tough. And when the times get tough, the first thing to do, a lot of times kids, like, want to turn away and go find something easy. Sometimes yeah. you got to fight through that shit. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to fight through it and uh, do it like that, man. And now everything's going to be handed to you. Sometimes you got to go grab that shit, for real. So for all the kids out there, just keep working. I know it's it's tough right now during this pandemic, but when, ta- when gyms open back up, keep working because that's what's going to separate you from the next guy, man. Just keep working. Um... That's all you could do. The work is going to show and the work is going to pay off. It always does. Don't cheat yourself. Treat yourself. Merci. Merci pour ton temps, man. C'est sûr, il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont oh, regarder l'interview puis qui vont uh, apprendre. So, merci encore d'avoir accepté l'invitation. Merci encore. Oh, for sure, for sure. This is dope what y'all are doing. It's dope, man. You know, if I could, if I could, uh, you know, uh, give you any suggestions on who you should maybe talk to. Mm-hmm. I seen that you had, uh, I think Negus is going to be on here. Or he's yeah. he's mm-hmm. been on here, but Um, obviously, for sure, if you could get Big Bro Mo on here, my big brother, that's going to be, that would be something dope for the city. Um, like I say, P-Mac could be something dope, too. I don't know if you had either Dwayne or Damien, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, do anything, but the Buckley brothers, um, just from them playing and uh, what he Damien is doing now, coaching and training kids. But those guys, too, are, are guys that I looked up to that was like, mm-hmm. yo, these guys are really nice, you know what I mean? So... Keep doing your thing. This is important for the next generation. Um, and I appreciate Thanks, you guys doing this. I appreciate you guys reaching out to me. And it was a no-brainer. I had to say, oh, sure. Of course I'd be on this. Right? Like, of course, man. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, man. Thank yeah, you. Appreciate it, man. Oh, Thanks sure, so much. Sure. So to our listeners listening, don't forget to subscribe. Once again, I'm Seth Amoa, a.k.a. I'm Kenny, a.k.a. KJL. And please stay tuned on our next episode.